Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Line Break Podcast. I'm your friend, Chris Corlew, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Bob Sikora. <laughs> is that is that how we're doing it now? <laughs> you told me to say friend. You we're told supposed me to call me to... your friend, though. <laughs> oh, is that it? Oh, well, we're not going to take it again. <laughs> we're back from break. Uh, hope everyone has had a nice holidays and um, a nice start to the uh, uh, cold embrace of winter. Um, if you're in the academic scene, hopefully you had a good start to the semester. Uh, we have some fun stuff in the works for this season, including more guest interviews and uh, deeper dives on some books and full-length collections. But uh, we're going to get our feet wet here with a uh, sort of what have you been reading lately catch-up episode. Um, I like doing these after the holidays because books are always at the top of my Christmas list. So I always start the new year with a fresh stack of books and a goal to read more than I did last year. It's fun, and it almost never goes the way I want it to. Uh, Bob, what about you? Do you find the uh, holiday break time a uh, good time for reading or uh, too busy with, like, family stuff, gearing up for the semester, that kind of thing? Definitely this year was the latter. Um, I I was really, really lucky. I got to spend some time with my family. Um, but, yeah, I did nothing productive, even, like, the casual uh, enjoyment productive of reading while I was with them and, and generally over the break, I didn't get much done in terms of prepping for the semester over the break. Um, I've been scrambling uh, sure. with, with the new year. Um, and I, I similarly do normally have like a stack of books um, from Christmas, whether they were actual gifts or just me splurging on myself. Um, Sometimes and, I have, there are a lot of sales. <laughs> there are sales, yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> Stimulating the economy or something. I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, and I don't blame you. I mean, that was the first time you'd seen your family in a really long time, right? Yeah, it had been yeah, a whole so, year. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a uh, reading kind of takes a backseat in that kind of situation. There's a uh, pandemic on. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, should we just uh, dive right in? Do you want to? Yes, uh, I guess we get straight to uh, to poetry. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hit do me it. with it, man. All right, this is an extremely on brand Bob poem. Um, I thought that when I read it. <laughs> I, I figured. Uh, it's called All My Life's Been a Costume Party um, by Jessica Abugadis from her collection Strip. The night was like a planet turning on its axis, tides shifting in some seamless, seamless, unnoticeable way. So long as I have to go on with this, existing, I might as well be irresistible. So buzzing. I took him like a small cactus fruit into my mouth. I can be this whole tequila bar with that blonde over there in a cropped t-shirt shooting stardust through the gap in her teeth. There she is kissing her Lady Midnight's hair. And there in the crowd, a man is leaning in and saying something no one will remember. Somewhere in the mob, I can hear my will to live saying very carefully, really, you had a great time, but this party's almost over. Yeah, that's a good one. Something interesting before we uh, start. The uh, online version uh, first published at Muzzle Magazine uh, is different than the one you just read, which I assume you're reading from the collection. I'm reading from the collection. I meant to look at that more closely <laughs> to oh, see yeah. if there was a difference. No, um, don't worry I about it. <laughs> it's uh it's cool it's kind of kind of kind of fun for me to follow along 
uh, I'm going to sidebar real quick. Have you watched the show uh, uh, Lupin on Netflix? Lupin? Completely out of the loop on Lupin. Oh, it's a, it's like a French, like, uh, this is extremely reductive. It's like French Sherlock Holmes. Okay. <laughs> but it's really fun. It's, uh, it's really good. And um, they have a really good overdub, so you kind of don't really notice that it's overdubbed. <laughs> but if you watch it with the closed captioning, uh, the closed captioning doesn't match up to the words they're saying. So it's like right. you're watching a revision in real time. It's really fun. <laughs> um, so that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> um, that, that, that is exactly the effect you're talking about of like hearing me read the poem in one version and you reading the poem in a different version on a page. Yeah. Um, there's a cool dissonance there. I'm interested. It, it was really fun. Um, I really <laughs> liked it. Uh, I wish I kind of, I kind of wish I had them side by side, like, a. To really compare, but right. So let's get into the poem. Uh, we're starting a. Uh, we're going to try out a new, um, new little thing with poems this season. I'm going to ask Bob some questions about this poem, and we're going to let the discussion unroll from there. So first of all, Bob, uh, why this poem? Why this poem today? Um, well, with the just prompt, I'm like what what we've been uh, reading. Um, I had definitely actually before the holidays. I kind of had a kick of reading some more. I guess it's probably just because my semester ended and I had a stack of books from the year that I knew I wanted to get to. When I was editing with Breakwater Review back when I was in grad school, we published a poem by Jessica. And so this is a name, her name's been on my radar for quite a while. Um, I don't, I am, in theory, if there's anyone who I've ever published before who's listening to this, um, if I'm involved with the literary journal and we publish you, like your name is stuck in my head forever. It just <laughs> is, and I'm paying attention um, I'm not necessarily good at seeming like that online, I think, but I'm definitely always paying attention. Her book won this prize and was published last year. This is through University of Arkansas Press. And so I was, I was pumped about it in general before I got to it. And then just when I finally got around to reading it, I was so, so captivated. Um, this is a debut, um, and it was still easily one of my favorite collections of the year, whether it's a debut or, you know, just like stood up with everything I read this year. You know, and this is this is a very Bob poem, like we said, emotionally. Yeah. There's, yeah, it's it's a downer. There's a lot of sadness to it, but I think there's also like a push and pull between whatever that emotion is that it's exploring. And and as we've probably said too many times, like I just get so excited in one page, small poem, efficient, exciting language throughout. Um, I I was just biting and falling and loving it every turn. Every image, every line break, like it all, it's all working for me. Yeah. Yeah. It is like a, um, it, it is like a, a, a perfectly crafted little lyric. Like it, I feel like this is something else that, uh, that you've something you've, you've kind of somewhat turned me on to in poetry that, uh, mine will, my, my poem this week will contrast with a little bit. There is like <laughs> a, um, there is a faux simplicity to this poem. Whereas like, I, 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 I can picture the scene. I know what's happening in this poem. Right. It's describing something that's extremely familiar to me. And yet the way that the way that all the imagery is working, the way that um, every move it's making, every line break, like you were talking about, every everything that's happening still manages to surprise me. Because, like, I read this poem and I'm like, okay, it's a bad party poem. Like, I know that. Right. <laughs> but, like, it still is is just like the the and, and all my life has been a costume party. That's a metaphor I can figure out pretty much within the first couple of lines. Right. But it still manages to surprise me at every turn, which I think is a really hard thing to do. And I feel like you've turned me on to a lot of poetry that does this. Uh, and then I've tried writing a lot of poetry to do this, and I, I've not been successful so far. <laughs> but uh, um, the process, yeah, it's it's so good. Like it, the 
yeah, I feel like this is, um, and I don't want to project too much of uh, author onto a speaker, but this this feels very much like a um, a person of color in a colonized space. There's there's like mm-hmm. I took him like a small cactus fruit into my mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can be this whole tequila bar. I can be that blonde over there, mm-hmm. and it like that gave me like huge like Cancun vibes, you know, like of like just like <laughs> um, like trying to navigate a. Uh, uh, a, a space that is appropriating a culture with 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 no conscience and just like right. like coat like a, a lot of code switching type imagery in this poem mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, there's there's even that um, the uh, the sort of lesbian moment there towards the end the um, like she's kissing the raven haired lady on the lips and like you know I don't want to I, I, I don't want to project too much but it seemed like one of those like uh, college frat party type things <laughs> where it's like just like the toxic bros are like, get two girls to kiss kind of thing. You know, um, it just, it feels like a, it feels like an existing in a really like just toxic space poem. <laughs> um, I mean, shout out to like, I just like such a good line of, of thinking of like the toxic bro or perhaps maybe just men in general, but a man is leaning in and saying something no one will remember. Is so yeah. good. <laughs> There's that meme, you know, like, have you seen those where it's I like a, <laughs> It's like yeah, a dude like, like whispering into a girl's ear, and yeah. he's just like saying so much in I, her face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If yeah, if if there was an image to go with this poem, it'd be that meme. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh <my> <laughs> and then yeah, and all of that builds to that. Uh, normally, if if this was like workshop, I could see myself being like. We can hear my will to live saying very carefully, really, I had a great time, but the party's almost over. Being like, okay, that's a little on the nose, but like in the context of everything else in the poem, I, I've i come around to that line after reading it a couple of times where I'm like, oh, you know what? No, that's a, that's a, that's an earned, that's a good earned little joke there at the end. Sure, uh, sure. Or not joke, I don't want to dismiss it, but like that's an earned turn of phrase in my mind. Uh, yeah, I really dig I liked it. it. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. So next question. Maybe I hope I didn't spoil it. What is the move in the poem? <laughs> and uh, you came up with this question, so maybe you can explain what's the move a little bit more. I think I understand it, but... Um. Well, I guess uh, I was just thinking one of the things that I hope people like about us talking about poems um, is that, I, you know, we do... And I, I work too, and I hope it's part of our practice, is to, like, do a lot of work of thinking about, like, what is actually happening in the poem? How is the poem operating? Yeah. Um, I like being text centered. Yes. Um, yes. I, I felt like an asshole saying that out loud, but I, I do stand by that. And and I, I really wanted to have some sort of pun of like what, you know, a title pun, you know, what's the line break or whatever. But I felt like that would that would kind of pigeonhole us a little too much. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was just kind of thinking of like what, you know, formally is happening in the poem that, or what is a move that the poet is making? Um, sure. You know, that made this stand out for you that got you excited. Kind of a what's the uh, what's 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 the main object from the writer's toolbox kind of thing or yeah absolutely yeah, sure okay yeah cool yeah, yeah then I I think I interpreted it all right that's good all right you're a smart guy I trust oh him. no don't no, don't let's not get carried away here oh. all right Bob what's the move well what you were well what you were pointing out there is is I thought that kind of was it felt like the like the obvious place to look was towards the end of this in the sense of like you said like it, the the turn there. I think it's working. Somewhere in the mob, I can hear my will to live saying very carefully, 
really, you had a great time, but this party's almost over. And I love the way that, like, there's a sonic to me, like, thud or clunk or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of, like, represents the way this poem, it's convincing itself, I think, to be optimistic all the way through. Um, you know, it starts off very big picture, something's happening. The night uh, was like a planet turning on its axis, tides shifting in some seamless, unnoticeable way. Something's happening, you know, and it's big picture. And that next perfect couplet, so long as I have to go on with this, we have the space, we have italics, existing. Sejura, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. I, mean, I, I didn't even go to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> um, I might as well be irresistible. Um, you know, and that, that in, in two lines does that great push-pull of the first line, the, the exhaustion of it, almost sarcasm of it. And then, you know, the, the kind of positive turn to, well, I might as well be irresistible. Right. Um, I, I love the way all that, yeah, the, the, it, to me it feels like the poem is like trying to talk itself into the party or wherever this is and yeah. whatever's going on. And I guess what I'm getting to is that to me, the poem, the momentum of the poem almost feels like the speaker has convinced themselves that we are part of this. This is great or whatever. I, you know, I'm, I'm losing my words here for it, but has convinced themselves towards the whatever positive energy is in here. Um, and it does just like take that all away from you very quickly at the bottom. Um, yeah. But for me, I guess, yeah, like what I, I really loved, maybe it is all the momentum is what I'm so excited about in this poem. Um, that we start with these couplets. We have this one tercet in the middle. And then at the end, we just have a lot of white space. It really slows yeah. everything down for me. Um, more Sashira. Um, you know, these pauses in the middle of the lines. Um, these great line breaks. Um, you know, kind of everything starting from, there she is kissing her, lady mid, her lady's midnight hair. Great line break after midnight. And there in the crowd, a man is leaning in. We have this big old space. And saying something no one will remember, its own line, another solo line, somewhere in the mob, another couplet, I can hear my will to live. Again, huge line break there. Uh, there's something for me, just the white space, and that like that line is shorter than the next line. All of this is slowing down and taking the momentum away, and I, I love it. Love yeah. it. <laughs> well, and you calling attention to um, that earlier bit, it, it makes me realize how much of a um there's almost a palindromic effect to the poem uh mm. or, uh of like a or like a like a mirror because yeah it starts out like you're talking like really big the night turning on its axis and then the as long as i have to go on with exist with this existing i might as well ir- be irresistible which kind of rhymes with the we can hear my will to live saying very carefully like right. it's, it's it's that same sort of heaviness and then sandwiched in between it is like the nitty-gritty of the the miserableness of trying to go on existing. <laughs> and that's all the things that are making this miserable. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the all, all the reasons the speaker figures they have to go on with this existing is right there in those like you know what eight lines there in the middle right. of the poem, and then we zoom right back out to I can hear my will to live saying very carefully. <laughs> Uh, and, and I think that does point to, I think, something that's great in this poem and, and a lot in this collection. Like you said, there's a, a directness to it. I think part of it comes in, in the language she's using. To me, it feels very conversational. It all feels very familiar to me in terms of, you know, kind of the, the diction. And that it goes, 
seamlessly in and out of thinking really big picture and heaviness, really personal heaviness, but also a lot of playfulness. You know, it, it's, I think this poem is having fun examining the scene and dissecting it and, you know, pointing to the miserableness. Yeah. Um, I love all that. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm 100%. If I say anything else, I'll just repeat what you said. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, let's move on to our third category here. What is the poem doing beyond the page? All right. Um, I I mean, I guess I kind of uh, kicked that off at the beginning, just, you know, talking about I was, this was a poet I was excited about to begin with, you know, from having published her before and just kind of like kept my eyes out um, in the past. And, And then just being so excited, you know, once you get that collection, and, and really buying in and being pumped about it further feels great. For sure, yeah. But uh, one of the things that stands out to me, I was thinking about this before the show, in general, the two of us, our relationship with Los Angeles is really funny um, because you <laughs> like Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, and I was born and raised there. Um, and, and I like how you friend that. I like Los Angeles and you were born and raised there. <laughs> I don't dislike Los Angeles. I have a complicated relationship with Los Angeles. Um, As with any hometown. Sure. Right. And and she is an LA poet um, and LA comes up in this book a lot. Um, Not like overbearingly, but it's, it, I felt like I noticed it. Sure. And just like this poem, there are a lot of kind of seedy, dark scenes. There's bars, there's clubs. For me, the LA thing is she talked about the Canyon and I was like, "Eh, I know where, I know where we are. Oh, Sure. And so for me as a reader, I had like these, just these weird moments where I imagine my life, if I had moved back to LA, what that would have looked like. Who am I as a person? Who is, who am I as a poet? You know, that there's just a weird extra layer hanging over a lot of this for oh, me sure. as I read. But I think more than that, and maybe like a little bit more, this does return back to kind of the content of the book. Um, so the title is Strip. Um, and there's a fantastic poem of that name. And, you know, it's kind of one of those, those poems that's like really interested in language. So it's thinking about the different, different kind of definitions of the word strip. It's many uses, these possibilities. And I guess like for me, one of the ways that title works and it, you know, kind of thematically goes throughout the book um, is that this, I feel like there is a lot of like personal bearing herself. Um, sure. Really letting, letting the reader kind of see all sorts of what's under what's under there. Um, yeah. We got you know these weird bar scenes. We've got love. We've got sex. We've got relationships, um, and a lot of that stuff. Obviously, part of what interests me and what I write about. But I mean, there's also a lot in this book that's beyond my experience. If you go right on, like the very next page um, is 13 Ways of Looking at an Arab Girl," which is also a really fantastic uh, poem. And I guess I love. And we've talked about this before. I love that here, and I love that in general in poems, um, the way that someone can get into the really, really personal um, and can use that as a, their starting point. And I, as reader, can simultaneously have these like moments where I totally relate and understand and other places where I'm like so far away and I'm learning and I, you know, it's a perspective that I sure. you know, just don't know. Um, yeah. And this does a really remarkable job with that. And, it, it you know bearing so much and bringing so much into it um as a reader it just it took me really close to all of those experiences um it, yeah i felt like a, a collection that moves to a lot of places and i love that i nice 
Yeah, uh, hell yeah. That sounds like forgot how much of this podcast is us gushing about. (laughs) 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 Well, not really though. That sounds like what you want from a um, from a from a poetry collection. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you want to, yeah, you 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 want to you want to learn something. You want to be taken into a different experience other than your own. And then, but yeah, that that familiarity, that uh, that little uh, you know, little brushstroke of uh, universality amidst like you know something like. Uh, an experience very different from your own. That's right. that's that's a unique poetry, uh, unique power poetry has. I think um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I felt a lot while reading all this. Nice. <laughs> I gotta check out the collection, man. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think I, every I'm episode suddenly... I say I gotta check out the collection. <laughs> Again, you're gonna bankrupt me. <laughs> uh, I, I've said this too before, but I feel like I often, you know, bring in a poem that I I, I feel comfortable. Like I I I know it's exciting me here. I can talk about this and sometimes I come up short on that perhaps now too. Um, but then I also, I also like finish talking about it. I'm like, man, this poem does not necessarily represent the whole book or that there's so much more to this book. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. It's, that's an impossible dilemma. Um, well, that's a compliment to the book too. Like, yeah, it's true. If, this is you true. Know, if the book was just 60 pages of this is what the book's like, then, you know, <laughs> it's not worth buying the book. Uh, <laughs> Subtweet at my book. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that's not what I said. Sorry, I'm just like I'm just I'm just really down on it right now. It's okay. Uh, I've read it, and it is not that. It is explicitly a, not that. Having having one of those days where I'm like, mm, I don't know about this right now. Okay, I'm gonna have to give you a pep talk when we stop recording. Then. <laughs> uh, all right, that's a, that's a good transition time. I've talked too much. Um, again, cheers, Jessica. Uh, Jessica Abogada strip, fantastic, fantastic. I cannot recommend this enough. Um, that poem, just a slice of how good it is. But you've got a poem. I as, do have a poem. As we do. You brought a poem. I brought a poem. I, I know it's shocking to our listeners, but I brought one. <laughs> this is a poem called Story in a White Diction by Jess Winder Bellina. Uh, one of the first poets I started reading when I started reading contemporary poetry. And uh, someone who certainly takes you on a ride every time you read a poem. <laughs> <laughs> Story in a White Diction. Then, the American flambeing her corpus poolside, motions for a margarita, a basket of chips and dip, a detective novel, or a romance novel, or a novel about a detective romancing a suspect, but the only English the pool girl can offer of the lobbies lost and found is a procedural memoir the detective writes nights staking out a bistro where the suspect is a sous chef but the suspect doesn't see her there with her notepad, her telephoto lens, her gladware of trail mix, a directional mic. The suspect is eager for his shift to end so he can meet his Pilates instructor for a third date on which he'll convince her after a beet salad, after the Wes Anderson movie, after a stroll by gaslight through the common he's ready for love in spite of the garish death of his second wife who fell from their lofted master suite onto a crystal decanter and not, as the local bloggers have suspected, the other way around. He mutters, she'll believe me, she'll believe me, to the sine wave of the meat slicer gliding forward and back on an entire block of prosciutto, is shuffled and stacked, his mantra so consuming he doesn't register the executive chef's irritation at his other-mindedness, his pestering requests to punch out early, his tattoos and legal entanglements, 
She has no patience, for now she's cutting ribbon on a second location, soon a third, someday a chain, a syndicated cooking show, the cover of Forbes magazine. So many paunchy middle managers will read relieving their feet of their loafers, fingering their peanuts, sucking on Fiji waters, and one of them will recognize her across the wide aisle of a Virgin America airliner and glance, then glance again, strategizing his savvy introduction, a quipping banter, a Chardonnay segued into an exchange of private email addresses, personal cell numbers, maybe a fuck in the can, which is a chief ambition among men of terrible wealth and learning. She can do better, she thinks, slipping on a sleep mask in her lay-flat seat en route from a TED Talk in Monterey to a week's R&R in Cabo. She's on the cover of Forbes magazine, for Christ's sakes. She can certainly do better, she says a few days later to the pool girl, who's sweating a lot by now, her black braid plaited across the damp back of her uniform Oxford, her uniform khakis clutching her thighs, a somber musk overpowering her perfume. But the American doesn't notice any of this when she offers, Honey, we can all do better. As if they are girlfriends brunching, as if they're chit-chatting in an Uber escaped from a lousy mixer, as if hers is a sentence everybody is serving, hers a shared language both of them dream in nightly on temperpedic mattresses in adjoining row houses, and bland ambition is the only difference between her and her, and everybody wants to be like her. You brought a poem this week. I brought a poem. Oh, poem. Um, I don't even know where you possibly could start with this. Uh, so I'm going to let you. Te- well, you're supposed to ask me questions. With well, <laughs> I was going to say I was let you, I will let you take on that whole uh, problem of where to even start um, by our first category. Why this poem? Um, so it feels a little silly to say, but um, uh, Jess Winder just had a book published. And uh, he also just got back on Twitter, um, which made me think, oh, I haven't read any Jess Winder for a while. So I did the whole like uh, Google the author name thing and just like went down a uh, Jess Winder rabbit hole. And uh, yeah, I got lost in his poems for a while because he has such a distinct style, I feel like, and something unique from what I've been reading a lot of lately. And and he's, yeah, he's just so uh, dense and... uh, Every line is so tightly packed. I just found myself like spending a lot of time with them. But um, I feel like with this one, a lot of his stuff has always seemed to me slightly obfuscated, um, a little uh, very much into the uh, resist paraphrase thing of, of poetry where, you know, there's there's a he's going to complicate meaning making. Um, and this one was published in the fall of 2016. And it just seemed like a uh, kind of a mask off like okay, I'm going to sit down and write a poem about how much bullshit white supremacy is. But he's still, like, packing a ton into every line. He's not, like, there's nothing cookie-cutter or, or like, cartoonish about any of this. It it, it feels, like, really lit, real and lived in because of how packed with imagery it was. It was just uh, interesting for me to uh, read a poet who I always associate with a lot of unknowability, being like, okay, I know what you're getting at, but you're still doing your stylistic thing. <laughs> um, and I found that, like, just fucking rad and, and, like, really seemed like a lot of hard things to do all at once, and he just did it. Yeah, um, yeah. And 
because because there's like there's like an an immediate political nature to this poem, mm-hmm. but it's it reads like a super super crafted poem, um, right. and I just think that's very cool. I think that's I think that's all fair. Um, yeah. I, I would say that was one of my first you know walking away from this poem after my first read was just thinking like how this seems like such an incredibly difficult thing to write. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, like you said, every line is packed and it's so much, you know, it's on one level, it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a prose poem. It almost looks like that, at least on the website, um, cause lines are fairly long. Um, and it has this compactness because of that. And so there's this sense of, yeah, I don't know, for me, it, felt, it created this one sense of like, okay, can I actually follow what's going on throughout all this? But right. also, like, you know, the more I'm trying to follow what's going on, the more I'm missing out on, like, all of the stuff that I'm actually reading and, and participating in and, and, and getting. Yeah. And the first time I read it, I thought it was, like, a, a narrative with shifting perspectives. And then I sort of realized, like, oh, no, everything that's happening here is, like, from the the suntanning woman's perspective. Right. right. But, like, it makes you think, like... It, I, for a second there, I thought the suspect in the detective novel was a character in the poem, if right. that makes sense, you know. There is this, this sense of slippage. Like, the best I could get in kind of trying to, like, put a finger on it was, I guess, that, like, it feels like sometimes the the pronoun usage is maybe, it's like, I don't think it's intentionally unclear. I don't necessarily think that it actually is unclear if you do the slow down, but just... Because right. you're reading it as a poem, because it is moving so quickly and you're getting so much, yeah, you have these moments where you're like, wait, who are we talking about here? Did this right. person just come out of a book literally? You know, like, Right, right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, all righty. Yeah. Take me back into the poem. What's the move? What are we, what are we feasting on? Um, it's, that, um, it's the density for me. Um, it's uh, in the first two lines, we get this suntanning American woman. Uh, motioning for a marg and snacks and a forgettable novel. And immediately we have a setting like in those first two lines, just Absolutely. by her actions, we have right. a setting. Um, it's a resort. It's a cruise ship. It's, it's somewhere, you know, uh, some, somewhere rich, inaccessible, built on inequality, uh, gauche. Um, you get that right away in two lines. And then, yeah, you get the plot of this novel that is the not speaker, but, main character of the poem is motioning for you know some sort of like dime store novel a detective novel or a romance novel doesn't even get that gets like you know what it what what, what, what was he calling the poem uh a procedural memoir the detective writes nights and so so yeah it's like bottom of the barrel lost and found beach read <laughs> <laughs> and so you think we'd just like forget about it but no like there's a whole bunch of lines just describing that novel that somehow is exactly in the same world as our suntanning American woman. Right. <laughs> and then, yeah, as it shifts back to her, it shifts then to the, uh, her, you know, romantic prospects and busy plane schedule. And then just casually being rude to a poolside worker at the end. It just, there's so much going on here that this could this poem could take place in the span of two minutes or it could take place in the span of two weeks, I feel like. <laughs> and uh yeah, I, I think that's a really a really cool trick. Absolutely. Absolutely. It it um it reminded me kind of of like a compacted um a compacted version of um Calvino, um If on a Winter's Night of Traveler. You sure, know, where, yeah. where yeah, like we get 
the story of the book and and it yeah it almost feels like we've gone entirely into the book but like you're saying that i think that's such a great move to have the if you're going to go into the plot of this bottom of the barrel procedural memoir to have it be kind of this reflection of of the original plot of the poem there's such yeah there's such a cool interplay going on here right we're learning something about the uh about the main character of the poem by reading by reading the synopsis of this book, right. of this trashy book. Yeah. Right. Oof. All right. And this is where I think you're going to let it rip. Um, because <laughs> that's what you do. You're Chris Corlew. Um, <laughs> what's going on? What's going on here for you beyond the page? You know, I think, uh, I think I, I alluded to it earlier. It was the, uh, the date that it was published fall 2016. Um, and the sort of, uh, difference in um how it feels more um what am i trying to say less opaque than a lot of uh, jess winder's work that i've read which i think is a wonderful trait about jess winder jess winder had a um essay in our old friend joshua marie wilkinson's book about teaching jess winder's essay said something like uh uh what was it take all the fingernails and cigarettes out of your poems we've had enough fingernails and cigarettes in your poems i want a um I want a machinist to show up in court gesture regalia or something like that. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's like you know, talking about like finding new phrases, finding new metaphors, right. like keeping things fresh and things like that. Right. And just like, oh, what a great turn of phrase. Like, you know, just like felt like some insight into how his like mind works in a really interesting way. And I just thought it was interesting how like I could very clearly picture everything on here. We have these faux shifting uh, perspectives. There's the flambéed woman. And then like for the last like kind of third or quarter of the poem, uh, it shifts almost like a turn to the pool girl with the uh, black braid plaited on her uniform Oxford. And that scene is described as if their girlfriend's brunching, as if they're chit-chatting in an Uber, escape from a lousy mixer. And I'm, I've been going back and forth on like what the perspective is on that. Um, and I've changed it in my notes like 80 times. Um, <laughs> And it's like, is it aspirational for the pool girl to want to be like the uh, the flambéing woman? Or is it like the flambéing woman thinking, oh, I know she wants to be just like me kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, or is it like sardonically aspirational for the pool girl? Like, oh, yeah, everybody wants to be like her. Like, <laughs> but, you know, fuck her, you know, like kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So I I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm really open on that. But uh I think what I'm really settling on is that uh, I think it's I think it's from the perspective of the flambéing woman being like everybody wants to be like me, mm-hmm. and that just like drives home how empty her life is. But I also think the ambiguity is better than any like real answer. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I choose to read it as like a uh, an embodiment of white egocentrism mm-hmm. uh, as a poem. But um, but yeah, I'm totally open to being wrong about my reading about it because i've gone back and forth like over and over again i think i think i'm with you um i i feel like maybe maybe you did maybe we didn't i I feel like in your notes you mentioned you know we you did point us to the title um story in a white diction and yeah the the examining whiteness um that's going on here in so many places certainly in like kind of like all of the uh (laughs) the reference (laughs) Ted Talk in Monterey, Forbes Magazine, Wes Anderson movie, um, the Uber, yeah. the Tempur-Pedic. 
Um, the detective novel where there's a gladware of trail mix. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, to me, there is some, yeah, this examining of whiteness um, through this character is definitely happening here. But what you were all just saying, what you were saying, they're all, you know, kind of on top of all that, it pointed me back to this last line. Um, and I guess it makes sense because the whole poem is written in third person, but there's something about I'm trying to find where I can even like pick up the last train of thought. <laughs> okay. So hers, a shared language, both of them dream in nightly on tempur mattresses in adjoining row houses and bland ambition is the only difference between her and her and everybody wants to be like her. And there's something about the, I guess, again, the ambiguity of those pronouns, something about the complete lack of an eye there, maybe is the lack of self-awareness of this woman. Um, but there's something about her and her and everybody wants to be like her. It's doing something that I'm absolutely not communicating right now. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on it, though. Yeah, it's like, because is, is the shared language the the pool girl saying, honey, we can all do better? Or is the shared language just general dissatisfaction that <laughs> like the, the flambéed woman is feeling. Right. Or, I mean, and like, you know, I think it's up for debate. I don't want to get too crazy, but is, <laughs> does the pool girl even say, honey, we can all do better. Or does the flambéing woman imagine her saying that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, as like an imagined, like, Oh, this, this person of color who is my, you know, uh, servant, um, commiserates with me. Right. I guess it's, Um, yeah, it feels like this, this assumed, um, shared language. Yeah. And that like the poem is calling attention to the, how it's not necessarily, uh, shared. Right. Um, Or like that, even if that idea is shared, it's going to mean different things based on, you know, who they are in their position, you know, their positionality. Right. Um, And what you were talking about, the, it's assumed it's a shared language kind of, I feel like there's an extra her on the last line. Yeah, right. The only difference between her and her and everybody wants to be like her. And I'm picturing her as in the flambéed woman and her as in the pool girl. And then everyone wants to be like her and we don't know who that her is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, does does the rich woman want to be like the the poor woman as like a, like a living a simpler life or whatever? Or does the poor woman want to be, or just the rich woman imagine the poor woman wanting to be like <laughs> her. It's, and there's, there's just like an extra one there. There's an right. extra pronoun there that right. is, is messing with the meaning. And, um, I think that that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a genius twist. I was like, like all of which is to say it's, it's great. It's great yeah. to get, you know, uh, to somehow get more every time and maybe even get less further away from a simple definite, you know, a simple right. explanation. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, this was fantastic. I'm so glad you brought this one here. I was amazed at you remembering some lines from an essay that I, I am positive you have not read in quite some time. Oh, yeah, not since not since before the book was published, to be honest. <laughs> That's like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I have that book that you're talking about in my shelf. I am positive that I have dog-eared his essay, because I remember being excited when I saw his name because you had just talked about it when I was reading. And I read this like within the past year. I was like, I can get it. It's here. You don't have to recall this thing from a decade ago. 
Um, yeah, I actually, I haven't read the book in full. Um, but, uh, when Josh was putting it together, uh, I was in my senior year and I went in for office hours to, for what else to get some poems read. And, uh, he was like, Hey, Jess Winter just turned in his essay. Do you want to read this, this like one pager? And, uh, uh, I hope I'm not getting anyone in trouble, like ethics wise or whatever. Um, but I was like, yeah. And like huge portions of that essay stuck out to me. For sure. All this time later. Right. Um, so, yeah, it would have uh, been 11, 12 years. Yeah, yeah it would have no. been a long time ago. Um, yeah. We are talking about, it's called Poets on Teaching, a Source Book. Um, it is a really a fantastic kind of collection of, of essays on teaching poetry. Um, and I've been from... meaning to get it ever since it came out, but I was broke when it came out. <laughs> and I, by the time I wasn't broke, I'd forgotten it existed. <laughs> and now we're doing this podcast. I, mean, I bought it so long ago and only this year got around to reading it. Um, and, and, and like you said, like that idea, like just the one pager, most of them are really short and like, it's just such classic. You ask a bunch of poets to write about the same topic and you're going to get so many different approaches. Right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. We're, we're going off, uh, off the wheels here, but I, I did also want to give one last shout out to a uh, fellow, uh, Loyola graduate and Rambler, Joss Winder. Um, yes. Shout out. Yes. Fellow alum. Yeah. Uh, was there when Dean Young was teaching, I think. Oh, I did not know that. Dang. I think that's right. Unless yeah. I'm mistaken. Uh, I think, I think we are, I think we're at the end here. I think we're at the end. Um, what do we do at the end of the show? Well, we talk a little bit of basketball. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> So yeah, I was I was having trouble coming up with a uh, basketball question this week. Um, I haven't been watching a ton this season, and part of that is uh, just you know uh, my kids getting older, and it, there's a uh, there's some I've been spending a lot of time on parenting lately. Let's just say okay. that. <laughs> okay, we'll put it that way. Okay, not not good or bad, just a lot of time right. sure. <laughs> on parenting. So I haven't been watching as much this this season, uh, but it also feels like such a weird season because of uh it's a short time frame mm-hmm. um from playoffs to this season and um then there's the whole covid thing like you know right. games are getting postponed and uh like the i think i read today that the mavs have had like five players miss at least a month Jeez, uh, yeah right each like which is just insane and they're still somehow 8 and 10 which is even more nuts but uh <laughs> so i was going to ask you uh just as a, a check in like I'm I'm guess I'm going from between like wanting some sort of stability of like a normal NBA season and like some basketball to blow off steam and then also like feeling bad that these players are out there like risking lives and things like that. Um and while there's a bunch of other stuff going on in the country, what's your basketball viewing been like this year? Have you okay. been able um, to like get into it or have you So been... I I definitely it's it's weird. I remember before the season started how I had that thought of like, man, basketball just ended like this. I don't know about this. And then I did find myself getting pumped up and I, I sure I watched some opening night and a couple weeks. I yeah, watched, I watched a, a bunch like the first week. Right. Yeah. Also, uh, while I was with my family, I watched a lot of Clippers, including um, like literally the worst plot loss of all time to those maps. Oh no. Um, no. It was, <laughs> oh, no. Like they always play bad on day games, but it was just like, unbelievable to watch them down by 50 at halftime like like so the what? first time you see your parents in a year <laughs> you watch a game where they lose by 15 <laughs> i mean i mean honestly a little grateful um that uh 
that was COVID. T- if, if it wasn't COVID, you know, me and my dad try and catch a game um, when I'm around. Uh, sure. And uh, we could have, you know, physically been there for that game, which would have been really depressing. That would have been, that would have been even worse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I guess less so lately, you know, a little on and off with it. You know, it, it is – there was something about the playoffs and that they had this great plan for how to do it, and it felt – unnecessary but also like kind of i you know i was just, i was very grateful for basketball to be back at the end of the summer um yeah. and now like you're saying when you're hearing all these the canceled games and stuff it, it does feel kind of exhaustingly like why are we doing this right um, that's uh, yeah I, that's kind of i'm glad you drew the contest contrast between the playoffs because like having the bubble in orlando it really did feel like everyone was going to be safe like mm-hmm. it, it felt like you know there's always the worry that like someone breaks it somehow like Lou Williams or something, (laughs) but it felt like it was like safe. And then it was like, okay, cool. We can have this little, we can have this as a treat kind of thing. Right. And the season just feels different. And now I'm just like, I don't have a personal relationship with any basketball player, but like it would, you know, and anytime I hear one of them got COVID, I'm just like, well, that sucks. Like even someone I don't like, you know, like I don't want, I can't think of someone I don't like who's gotten COVID. I don't know. But, like, you know, even a player I would normally cheer against, it'd be like... Oh, yeah, I mean, that's just, like, an injury kind of thing where it's like, I don't want to see that in the freaking... You know, right. like, I just want good basketball. Yeah. I wouldn't wish permanent lung damage on Bill Lambeer, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 I mean, maybe this is revealing of how naive I am, but I think, I think too, just when the playoffs started, still was at least somewhat optimistic that things would... T- turn sooner yeah you know i don't know i certainly like by october i already kind of understand stood how bleak this all was and you know um i frankly i mean we got a vaccine sooner than i honestly thought we would for sure you know i mean also shouts out my parents and my grandmother just got the first round let's go let's hey, go hey that's We're awesome excited. yes that's great um yeah just I, I don't know there's definitely something weird about it this season i'm 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 the best team in my fantasy league, though. So hey, there you go. Going. That's good. <laughs> That's good. And hey, the Bulls are uh, somewhat hopeful for the first time in like four I've, years. I've heard so. the Bulls are back, baby. Um, uh, that's that's what I've heard. I've heard tell that the Bulls are indeed back. I'm not sure if I believe it, but uh, all right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'm honestly kind of hoping that um, the Bulls are uh, so back that they uh, can. Uh, Flip Zach, Zach Levine and uh, Larry Markin into surreal players, but um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, but I like uh, like what Kobe White's been doing. I actually, <laughs> honestly, like what Zach Levine's been doing. It just no, he's been great lately. Yeah, he's been awesome. Yeah. I just I just don't trust it, you know. Right. And I really like I, Zach Levine is uh, one of my uh, favorite player archetypes, which is like does nothing but shoot threes and dunks, but. Uh, I was really excited when the Bulls got him, but then it turns out when he's on your team, you're like, oh, this is this is less fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's we're a quarter of the way through the season already. I know, that's insane. That's yeah. that's so wild. Um it's always wild to me when we're a quarter of the way through the season, but uh mm-hmm. especially wild this year. Particularly so this year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll see how we feel about basketball in a week. Yeah, yeah. I'll come up with a better question. But uh, um, it's a check-in. We're getting back on. Getting back it's a on check-in. Let's go. It's a check-in. And you know what? 
had a weird week or so. So maybe that's just <laughs> an indication of where my mental state's at. How about that? <laughs> now the podcast turns into therapy. Oh, yes. It's cheaper yeah. than therapy. Um, <laughs> that's probably a week. That's probably a week. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week with uh, more podcast. And uh, excited to be back for season two. And we'll talk to you guys soon.